be able to stand in, as we always say. You know, we don't like whenever people are absent for whatever reason, but you know, I uh, did talk to Brother John just before I came down. He said that he had uh, spoke yesterday and said that possibly, uh, he said, most likely going to be traveling back tomorrow. He said, if I about stand till Friday, but most likely travel back tomorrow. He told us he would get there and do that, didn't he? I mean, he told us Sunday. He said, that's what would happen. He said, he might come back Friday, but he'd probably come back Thursday. But but you know, it is uh, good to be here, and it's uh, good to see people in to a nice, cool place to be able to come in and a refuge of a cool house of the Lord, but also just to be able to open God's Word. And you know, one of the things that I think is so, so important, and guys, we know that we're very blessed here in this little church to know that that God has directed our hearts to be here, but also that you know that there's a there's a bond here that can't be faked. And you know, you see a lot of times, I know a lot of you have worked in places, and I know all you poor teachers, you've worked in you've had to go to these silly PDs where they do these icebreakers and these bonding moments and that's usually whenever I'm still back there mysteriously absent getting more coffee, okay? Because I, here's what I want you to do. Whenever I go to a meeting like that, give me the information and send me home. But you know, whenever we come to God's house, that, that's not the way I feel. I really don't feel like I have to kind of like, you know, I don't want to be part of something. It's, it's one of those things that whenever we have the opportunity, you know, we should be excited and eager to, be, to step out and to do those things. And I'd like for you tonight to go to 2 Peter. We're going to read a little passage of Scripture here, and then we'll have a word of prayer. But 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, chapter one. And I do want to mention also, Brother John said, do keep uh, Kendra in your prayers. You know, said she you know, had a rough week, so be in prayer for her. Uh, I'm sure it's, it's rough on Dalton too, but you know, it's in a different way. But it's, it's really kind of a stressful thing for him. been a rough week on so be in prayer for them. But 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and I want you, you know, and I don't even really have a title for this except for, you know, it is just good to be together. And I want us to look at verse number 1 that says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to stop there just for a moment. You know, whenever you write a letter, a lot of times you'll put dear and then the person's name. That is basically the deer right there. Did you notice who he said he's speaking to? He's saying that he is speaking. He's First of all, introduced him as that servant of Christ. And he's saying, this is to all of you people who have obtained like precious faith. You know, that, that phrase right there, I almost called it, that's almost what I called the lesson, is like precious faith. You know, in this congregation right here, if you are born again, you have a like precious faith because we have confidence that if you have trust in the Lord as your Savior, well, that's the same faith I have, same faith you have. And it's a, it's a like precious faith. It's very much alike. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, this letter is to you people of like precious faith. But look what it goes on to say. He kind of he grows on that idea of who he's speaking to and what that commonality is. Well, what do these people have in common that lack precious faith, but also this? He's, he's offering sort of a prayer. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, uh, of Jesus our Lord. Now look at this right here. It's a very important thing. You know, he's still kind of drawing up what do all these people have in common with him. And it says in verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto, look at this, us all things pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us 
to glory and virtue. Now I want you to notice he's using that word us a lot because he's, he's addressing us to people of light, precious faith. And you know that word us is a collective pronoun where it's, it's usually it's used in a group where there's something where you're sharing something. And he is clearly saying here that these, the people he's talking to, the us's in that one, are people of like precious faith. Now look at this verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, before we have a word of prayer, I want you to think of this right now. You know, we, we come together as what, what we call a church body. You have a physical body that you dwell in, a physical body that you maintain, a physical body that you care for, a physical body that you don't discount one part of your body. I mean, you again, you know, I think Brother Jeremy mentioned this, and I, I was listening to like one of their uh, podcasts they were doing talking about the body. You know... There, there's a certain order of things. And whenever we function as a body, everything works so much better. I mean, you know, you take dad right now has two broken ribs. Now I got news for you. If you took that little spot, it's probably this big, and compared that to the rest of his body, but that one little spot's got him right now. That one little piece has got him because it's not working real well with him. And you know, that's the reason why Peter is, is reaching out to these people and he's saying, you know, to all of you who think like me, to all of you who believe like me, I've got something I need to tell you. And I want you to realize that not have I only got something to tell you, I've got something to encourage you by telling you we've been given some great and precious promises. Now we know the world laughs at our great and precious promises. But guys, we also know the Scriptures tells us that the simple things that God gives us confounds the world. They can't even really understand it. And you know, again, we have to understand that's why they're called blind. But you know what? Peter is, is trying to encourage the people of like precious faith. And I think tonight, I want you to go away from this lesson just understanding that we've got to look around and realize there are people like us who don't want to wallow in the nonsense of the world. Uh, who don't want to wallow in the filth that the news programs can put out there. And they, they, they want to come together to hear encouragement, sometimes correction, but also get reminded that we don't just show up here and hold down a pew for an hour and leave, hopefully, out of habit. But instead, out of almost necessity, needing kind of a tune-up, kind of a fill-up, kind of a... Because if you do work in a secular job, you know that that world out there can drain you. The people can drain you. Their attitudes, their actions, their deeds can drain you. And you know what? What better place to come than where people sitting here have like precious faith. But before we go any further, we'll have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your watch care over us. And Lord, thank you for the words you've uh, put here in this book, Lord, for us to even look at, Lord, thousands of years later and just be encouraged by the fellowship that Peter had with these people. And Lord God, I do pray that you just help us to enjoy this night of fellowship and watch over pastors as they travel home tomorrow. Lord God, just direct the words tonight. Just forgive my sins. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. But I want you to think of this. You know, physical contact and physical companionship, it, it's necessity. Um, and I'm not talking like a romantic thing. I'm talking about just like, you know, friends. People just coming together and... and and being able to share in a burden, share in joys, share in sorrows, those things are necessity. A person, and, and you know, 
I will tell you this. I know I hear people talk about, a lot of times about what we term as a shut-in. A person who, not by choice, but just by, just they're bound maybe to their home because of age, because of ailments or whatever. you got to realize those people are not choosing to be that way. And in that, in that fashion, we have got to be the people who kind of go to them. Well, Peter is reaching out to those people who are of like precious faith. And when we see or know of people who have that same faith and maybe need that, hey, a reminder, hey, I'm on your side. We, we think alike. We, we are alike. Because let me tell you what, whenever you feel like it's you against the world, Satan has you where he wants you. He can make you start doubting people around you, start doubting yourself, start doubting your God. God, uh, God is, is very, very much more powerful than Satan, though. And that's what we've got to realize. That's why Peter is telling these people, he's saying, you know, there are people, and I'm one of them, who has this like precious faith. And what he's trying to encourage them in that verse number 4, we have exceeding great promises. You know, whenever you think of the word exceeding, it means reaching further than you even expected. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a good time and then all of a sudden, it was a better time than you even expected. That's what it means, exceeding. It went way past expectations. And I know, again, whenever you, you go through a day of work, and maybe, just maybe, you, you're going to get paid that day. And you get your paycheck, and you look at it, and you're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know I worked that many hours. And it, it exceeds what you thought. You know, that, that brings an excitement. But whenever you think of the promises that we've got beyond this life, that's exceeding. But you know something also? I don't think Peter was saying, hey people, just wait till you die. It's going to be really, really good. Friends, if we can't live in the right now and enjoy some of those promises, what, what kind of relationship do we have with God if we can't live in some joy now? And that's what Peter is trying to get these people to realize. Just like in today's society, there are people who love to see Christians struggle. They, they relish in it. They really enjoy to see you because, and there are scriptures like this where people say, well, where's your God? You know, why, why isn't He helping you through this? But you know what? Those people can't sit up and, and look at their exceeding great promises. We can. We know that God goes way beyond this life. Now I want you to think of this. People who are what we call our circle, we've got to make sure that we know and they know who we are. It's the reason why we have fellowship meetings. It's why we call this coming together a fellowship where people come together to recognize, well, this person right here, I recognize them as, as one of us, as, as one of the people whom I share this great exceeding promise with. But I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 2 as just a reminder that humans were created... For companionship. We were created for help. We were created to be not a bystander, but instead we were created to be people who are actively engaged in helping one another. And we know that in Genesis chapter 2, and we'll look at verse number 20, and you know, Adam had been created and all these other things, and this verse number 20 begins with, and Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And you know, it's not that God looked around and said, Oops, I made a mistake. I forgot to give Adam, you know, this helper. No, in God's time. But look what it says right here. 
And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib which the Lord had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And you notice here that helpmate, that person who's brought into a relationship. And again, I don't want you to be thinking about like a, like a marital relationship only. I'm talking about this helping relationship. We've got to be able to look around and see the people who we, were, we share something with. A labor. You know, this is a small church. This is a small church with, with a very small membership compared to a lot of places. But you know what? And I know Jeremy's heard me say this before. It really has to be a place where it's all hands on deck. Um, and and I, I would hope that it would be the same way in the biggest true church around this world. I would hope people felt that sense of urgency to where you, you do not want to see, wow, there's nobody up here leading singing or there's nobody to take care of lessons. I hope people see it as a burden to where they look at it and say, you know what? There aren't shoes up there. I better put mine there. And, you know, that's what Peter's trying to do is trying to make people realize by looking around that there's a reason for us. We're not just passing by each other. I really hope nobody feels that way, that we're just kind of going to be here for a while and moving on. I really hope we don't because that's not what perpetual means. And we are a perpetual body. We're going to be here until Christ comes back. And we've got to make sure that we're seeing the necessity of our duties here. But I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I really, I remember reading these verses so long ago and just how neat. I'm telling you just to think of, I guess you'd say as far as time, these words are ancient. But they can't get old. It's just so amazing, the words here. We're going to start with Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't take real genius to figure out. If you're out doing physical labor and it's you and you, I'm telling you what, that labor can turn into a burden real fast. But whenever you have that person show up and, that man, they've got willing hands, a strong back, or, or a mind to help you do that work, I'm telling you what, it makes work more fun. I've even you know, spoken with Grant about that. Whenever you're working with the right person, work doesn't always feel like labor all the time. And, you know, it really does. It is that way. How practical is that? Two are better than one because they have a re- good reward for their labor. And you literally cut the work in half. You make it to where it's such less of a burden on somebody whenever you show up with that willing mind. And verse number 10 says, For if they fall... The one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. How much more practical can you get than that? I mean, you think of a person who has, has come to the point to where, hey, maybe this is physical, and they, they have fallen down. Or maybe this is spiritual, where a person has slipped up spiritually. In either context... How horrible would it be to be that person who's down with no physical or spiritual help to help you up? What a terrible situation, but you know what? We have fellow brothers and sisters who maybe are right here tonight, but also who are out in the world, maybe not affiliated with any church at all. 
And they don't have what you have right here, right now, a church family. You know, we, we've all, we all talk to people, and so many times people say, well, we're looking for a church. Friends, I'm going to tell you what, that is a hard place for a person to be. Because are you, if you are without a church body, I mean, guys, I honestly feel confident that I could call any person, any family in this room and have your assistance in, in the time it took you to get to where I was. I really feel that confident. Because I think we really have each other's back. And it's not that we would want a pat on the back. It's because we realize we've got a like precious faith. We've got something common here. Something very common. But look what it says in verse number 11. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Now, I, I like to watch weird documentaries. I, I'm one of those people that... I, I, I watched a silent movie... And I think it's four or five hours long. It's called Nanook of the North. It's totally silent. There are no words. And these people, it's one of the first motion pictures. And everybody in that class was so bored. I loved it. Because they built, it was what it was, following these Inuits, these Eskimo people. And I was amazed how they built igloos and all this stuff. And everybody else was like, oh my goodness gracious. But you know what the, the neat thing was? Is that when they went to lay down... It was a unit. I mean, these people got under one giant, you know, it was a bear skin or something, and that's the way they slept because they realized that unit of warmth. And friends, whenever it comes to that, I mean, think about it. That's how practical is that? Two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? But I want you to notice this next verse. Oh, my goodness. This, this verse right here, if you don't hear any verse or remember any more, when you picture your church family... When you picture people who have like precious faith, please see this. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Look at this one. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Amen. Boy, I mean, you take, uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's amazing. We have this uh, hay string, comes out of that hay roller up there. I don't know how many little, little it looks like hair. It's called sisal. It looks like hair. You take one, you can take two fingers, just, just take it and just pluck it apart. Well, you get a hold of a, you get a hold of that out of the hay roller, how many of those little teeny tiny things you get. You get a hold of it, I want to see you break a fresh piece. You'll sit there and the only thing you're going to do is you're going to hurt your hands. You know what? Whenever Satan comes up against very, very weak individuals, friends, it's just right there. But whenever Satan comes up against a group of people who are not willing to be broken or to be scattered, he looks at that cord and he says, you know what, they're a lot easier to pray than that. Amen. And he moves on. You know what, the Scriptures tell us we resist the devil, he's going to flee from us. And you know what, as a unit, as a church, that's the way we have to function, as a unit, to where Satan sees this body as being, you know what, we're not, we're not invincible outside of God. But you know what, he is not able to destroy us when we're in fellowship with one another. I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Very, very familiar passage of Scripture talking about the body of the church. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to just look at two verses. First Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at 25 and 26. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, one for another. And whether one member suffer, 
all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, I know if you go through this and you start verse 1 and work down, this is a literal picture of like the body of Christ working together, a body working together. And it is clearly saying that whenever one suffers, there should be no suffering done alone. Never. And you know what? Whenever somebody rejoices in a, in a victory, my goodness gracious, we should be able to share in that. I mean, you know, congratulatory and, and you know, really share in those victories because that is a huge... I mean, you think of this. In the past month or two, we've seen people saved here. How awful would it be if, if, if the people who had just been saved never saw any... I mean, nobody showed up at the baptism hole except their family. I mean, what a shame would that be? But see, as a, as a unit, whenever we see that, we are going to rejoice together. I want to tell you just a real quick uh, just an account I listened to the other day. I know Steph, she came out there the other day, and I was still sitting in the truck listening to a story. Um, I love listening to people who, who go on these huge adventures. And one of them was, a, was about these two men who went on this, uh, this uh, amazing journey to the top of this mountain. It was, a very, it was a true account, and I think it was Mount Rainier. And uh, these men had gone to the top of this, and they had gone to the summit. And this was something that these men had prepared for. They weren't relatives. They had only met a few months prior in this climbing club. But whenever you go in these climbing clubs, you get to know the person climbing with you. Uh, they call it a tandem climb where you've got two people, and you are literally tied together. You have this rope, and these men had 60 feet of rope between them. Now, most of the time, they were, they were you know, very close to each other, just right on each other's heels. They went to the top, had their big celebration, and on the way back down, they realized that how hard this was. And, a lot, and you might be thinking, like, man, going down, so what? No, they had used all their provisions going up because you want your load being lighter coming back and they had planned it, you know, and all this, and all they'd eaten was that, you know, you look at it, looks like sawdust, granola, and all this stuff, and they were, they were really longing to be back. And they were on their way down, kind of joking and jesting, and, you know, talking, and they kept walking, and they had these, um, and if you ever watch anything about these climbers, they have these things called crampons, and they literally have these things that, I, I thought they should call them clampons, but they clamp onto their boots, like spikes all the way around them, and that helps them in situations. Well, these things are all in these packs and everything, but the one thing they've got, they've got these walking sticks where they're testing because the shifting snows create these things that call a crevasse, and it, it opens up. But the problem is, sometimes those things will open up, then these big snowstorms will come and cover it. And all you have is this just little shallow layer that if you step in the wrong place, you're gone really gone. Well, he said that they were walking and they were coming down this mountain. He said, and they, you know, talking, just talking up a storm, just talk, talk, talk. And he said that whenever he leaned forward to punch his stick into the snow, there was no bottom. And he said, that most, most generally, you would do that and you would, you, were, you would retreat. But there was no retreating to be done because whatever he did, whenever he hit that snow... He destroyed the snow bridge that was under him. And he said he began to fall and said that he could hear the sound of that rope coming out of his... Because, you know, again, they're not dragging a 60 feet of rope. It's just between them, coiled up, 
but he could hear that rope just ripping, coming out, just coming out fast. And hearing this guy tell this, it felt like it lasted forever. You know, we go through life and we know we're prepared for so much. We carry around, probably not a rope, but we carry, we have a safety net, don't we? We have a safety net of people. But you know, this guy knew that his friend, as soon as he saw him disappear, had one job. And that was to dig in his ice pick into, and he, they would get out these picks and thrust them into the snow. And whenever that 60 feet of rope hit, you were counting on that guy to have dug that axe in all the way. Because not only was you, were you relying on that rope, friends, that, that power of that fall was going to be transferred through that rope into that human's body through his hands and you better hope he has a hold of that axe. Well, he said he kept falling and he kept falling. And he said the snow, he just realized and every now and then because he was tumbling, he could see that there, uh, there was a flash of light, just blue light because he was seeing the hole get smaller and smaller. And he, the whole time he was thinking, I've only got 60 feet of rope. How much further can I fall? And he said suddenly... He landed so softly. It was, he said, it just didn't even feel right. He said, but then all of a sudden he realized he had fallen a lot further than 60 feet. And he looked up and that light was blinking and said that he realized that he had pulled his friend in. And the whole point of this, whenever the guy landed, the guy landed and landed next was dead, the guy who came fell from the top. He said at first he didn't realize that the guy, he said he started just like, oh my goodness, we're survived. We met to the bottom, he realized there was no response. But the thing was, that guy at the top had broken his fall. But whenever that guy came, he took the full brunt of it, the whole fall. So he lay there and he realized I'm okay. Never even had a never even had a broken bone after this ordeal, and that and I cannot remember the depth. But it was way more than sixty feet that he had fallen. But he said he had time to sit there with his friend and realize that friend did exactly what he was told to do, because the axe wasn't there. The axe was at the top, but the fall was so great that it probably just pulled his hands loose. But the thing was, his friend had done exactly what they'd trained to do. And this man had survived completely. You know, we go through life hopefully never having to endure, you know, such a terrible thing. But I want you to think of spiritual, spiritually. When we go through life, we look around at this group of people. I would hope that if one of us was falling, that somebody would dig in. That somebody would be willing to reach down there and dig in and grab hold of that rope and say, No, not on my watch. You're, you are not going to fall. You're not going to fail. You know, Peter was looking around. And if you read through First and Second Peter, he was looking around at cultures of people who were really confused. Guys, I don't know if you looked around our world here recently, but we've got a really confused culture. And we had better be doing just like Peter and looking around saying, You have lacked precious faith. We've got to have each other's ropes. You know, in the meantime, there may be a time wherever, where somebody falls and you might get some rope burn. It might hurt you. It might, I tell you what, it might cost you friends. There might be people, whenever you reach out and help certain people, look at you and say, 
I don't know. What, should you really be helping that person? Well, if they're a brother or sister and they fall, and you better be helping them. You know, and that's exactly the way Christ taught. Christ taught that we're, you know, He didn't come for healed or well people. He came for those people who were sick. But you know, I thought about that man. Whenever he fell, his journey was now that he had to get out of that hole. And you know, that was the one thing he told, he, he said, he said, I know it sounds strange. He said, but I had a conversation with my friend before I left that hole. He said, what he did is, you know, they had to mark. What he did is he marked all this. Uh, he hung up everything in there because, you know, obviously he wasn't going to be the rescuer. He was going to be going and getting help to go back and recover his friend's body. So he had to leave all these items behind, but he also had to figure out how to get up. Well, you, you guys, if you know anything about math, you know, a 90 degree is like this. It was an 80 degree climb. And it was more than 60 feet because the rope was, you know, less, it was 60 feet long. And he said the, the climb went up and it actually inverted back some at, near the very top. And he said that he, it took him, and he said the minutes, but he said, he said, I did not time it. He said that I would take one step and then he would screw this thing into the wall to hold on to. Then he would take another step, and he said it was a continual process, and he finally got out of the hole. Now, I want you to think of what a terrible ordeal that would be, but I want us to go to John chapter 17. Go to John 17. This man knew his friend had done his job. This man knew now that he was having to leave behind that friend who had done everything he could, everything he had trained to do, but we're going to look at John chapter 17 and read part of the prayer that Christ gave for His people. We're going to start with verse number 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me, for they are Thine. And all mine are Thine, and Thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And notice what it says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to Thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. You know, Christ was praying for his people then. And later on, we're going to find out that in that same prayer, he was praying for you and me. He wanted a oneness with his people. He wanted a oneness with his people because if, he could ha if, if people would realize that, you know, there's an old statement that says one is the loneliest number. And it is, it is. You know, you might be number one at something, but, you know, there are a whole lot of people that don't like that number one. It can be a lonely place. But listen, Christ was praying that His people would be as one working unit. You know, we should be, in the eyes of God, this church body right here should be one working unit. He should be able to look down at this church and see a functioning, fully functioning, outreaching church without any voids, nothing being let down, nothing being undone, but that's the way God should be able to view this church. Christ was praying for us in that fashion that we would have such a bond with each other just like He has a bond with His Father, a oneness. And verse number, 11 said, uh, verse number 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those who thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, the scripture might be fulfilled. And I want you to look down here, and I want you to look down and go down to verse number 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. 
when we look around, we have brothers and sisters who, you know, I would never want to be alone and be like, all right, let's everybody just go to heaven. We're here for a reason. We're, we're, we are here for a reason for the people, you know, that are around us. You know, the people at your work, the people at your schools, wherever you're found, you are there for them. And, you know, right here, Jesus is basically saying that, you know, keep them from evil. Give them what they need. Give them the wherewithal, the ability to. And you know what? Through God's Holy Spirit, and you know what? Through the encouragement of brothers and sisters, we can overcome that evil. We can. It's a fight. It's a daily warfare. But it says right here in verse number 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they, might, they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now this next verse is something that every born again believer should take personally. This is a very unique scripture. Neither pray I for these alone. He's not just praying for the people who are right there. Look what it says. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Amen. Friends, that's us. That's, that's us. We, we believed on Christ because the perpetuation of that word being passed down generation after generation across cultures, across continents. That is us right there. Christ was praying for us the same thing, that we would be given the same power to overcome evil. And it says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. What does the world think of a discouraged, broken, disjointed, unwilling church? Well, guys, they think that, yeah, that's exactly what our new religion is. That's, that's exactly what our new Jesus stuff was. That's what the world views it as. They love to see a failure. But what do they see whenever they see a church that parking lot's full, people are active, people are encouraging to each other, you know, walk around talking about how's your day? That's exactly what this we, we are to be. We're to be people who care enough to ask, how are you? How are you doing? And you know what? Be ready for whenever the person says, not real good. Because you know something, um, and I know Brother Jeremy and I have said this before, a person asks you to pray for them, please don't wait till you go to bed. You can pray for them right there. I mean, I mean, seriously, you can pray for them right there on the spot. You can pray with people. You don't have to wait until it's bedtime or your prayer time. It might be that time right there might be the one time that person needs prayer more than you ever know. And you know something? We, going back to Peter, he was looking around and saying, all of you who share the same bond, we have to have each other's back. Now I want us to go back to that, that account of that hiker. He did make it out okay. And believe it or not, he was only a couple hundred yards from a rescue post. Like they had these outposts, these places, I guess, call them checkpoints maybe, where you go to and there were rangers. He said, they could tell, obviously, when I showed up. And, you know, they know who's on their way down the mountain, okay? They, they don't, it's not like, you know, you just go and come. They know how many people should be coming down. So when they saw this one hiker coming, they knew we got a problem. Well, he was able to direct them back to where that crevasse was, and they were able to get the guy out, and he, he had perished. But the man went through this terrible emotional trauma 
for months and said he really didn't know what to do and said, you know, he had the help of friends, had the help of all kinds of people. But he said the day came where he had to go talk to the man's parents. And uh, he, said, he said it wasn't like, you know, he said, you know, obviously this is months later. He said, but he felt like he needed to go to them and just tell them, you know, I'm really sorry for what happened. And he said he went in and said he told them, I'll tell you as much or as little as you want to know, you know, about your son's last hours. And you know, I start thinking, hold on just a second. Isn't that a picture of salvation? Whenever you come really, really regretting, really, really broken, and really, really kind of dreading what you've got to face. And you know, that man said that he, came, he went there, he had no idea what to expect, he'd never met these people before. But you know, whenever a person comes to the point to where you don't know the Lord, it's a pretty awkward moment. It really is. You've never been there before. You've never been there. You've never been to that point to where you realize, my goodness, I need God more than I even, I even recognize. And then you come to that point to where I need to tell you something. And that's just like salvation. When we come to God and we tell Him, you know, I know that I've done terrible things. I've sinned. And I need you. And I, I'm, I want to tell you this. You know, that man said that after he started, he said the parents told him, said, we do, we want to know what that climb was like in that descent. Because we want to know, because we know our son was fun-loving. He said that it was very awkward, he said, but as he started, he said the mom came over and put her hand on his hand. And he said, after that, he said, I could talk just freely. You know, that's exactly what God does to us. Whenever God sees that we have come to Him in full repentance knowing that he, I'm just going to lay it all out. I need you. I, I need to get this out. That's what salvation is. It's the same picture as being able to go to that person you've never met, to that God you don't know, and tell it all. Because you know what the man said? He said whenever, uh, whenever he was going, he said he kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you know what? The lady told him, said, you know, you have nothing to be sorry for. We understand what our son has done. You know what? Whenever we come to that point with God, God knows what His son did, doesn't He? Yeah. He knows His son paid the price. He knows His son went all the way down to the bottom of that hole with you. And you know what? He, he was the one with the rope. He, took, he gave His life. But guess what? We don't have to worry about crawling out of that hole like that poor hiker did. We go straight to the Father, and then suddenly, you know what we have? When we come to that point of repentance where we go to God and we tell all, just like that hiker, we go to God and we tell all, we, go, we gain a physical companionship, a church family, and we gain a spiritual companion that can never be separated from us, and that being Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. We gain so much through knowing God. And you know what? Just as that hiker, he had no idea that his ascent and descent from that mountain would lead to such triumph, tragedy, then forgiveness. You know, we go through life thinking, man, we got the world by the horns. We got everything. We... And all of a sudden, tragedy can strike in your heart whenever you realize that you are a lost sinner. 
But you know what? Triumph comes whenever we go straight to the parent, go straight to God, and say, God, I know what I've done, and I know I'm a sinner, and I need Christ. We've got to realize that back at P- when Peter was talking, he was saying to all of you like-minded people, Guys, if you're born again, that's exactly the way it happened. You went to the Father. You asked for forgiveness. And that makes you a like-minded person to me. Same way I came to know God was realizing my sin, realizing my need, repenting. But then we become a church family. And as a church family, we've got to understand that the world needs us, but we need each other right here. We need to show up here, be willing to take part. Be willing to reach out. Be willing to ask, how are you? Be willing to say, hey, if you need something, let me know. And you know what? Just like that, just like that hiker, we should always know that if we fall, somebody's got our rope. You know, not the one to hang you with, but the one that's really going to be the thing that's going to pull you out of that hole, the one that's going to tow you out. And in fact, it's the one that's not even going to let you hit the bottom because that's what that rope's designed to do. It's to keep you from hitting the bottom. And as a church family... I hope that we would be encouraged that you know that throughout the months and years and you know maybe decades and half centuries and centuries that we would recognize that we've got to have each other's back. We've got to have each other because the world doesn't have us. The world would love to see us fall and fail and be in the bottom of that hole. But you know what? Again, as a church family, we need to look around and realize we have a like precious faith, like-minded people, and that's what we need to focus on throughout these, you know for the perpetuation of this body, that we continue to serve God here in this place. Let me just sing. All right, if you all would, let's go ahead and stand. We'll turn to 254.